And I'm going to dive right in because uh, we've had an exciting day already. We could go home and be satisfied and blessed, but I believe there's more. Everybody say there's more. And I'm going to take us through it real quick. So we're in our third week of a series we called Going to the Well. And the reason we said going to the well, I wasn't simply just about water, although a well is about water. So let me just say, if you keep digging and digging and digging and you don't find water, how many know that can be very boring? If you're, if you're needing water and you're thirsty, you will dig to get that water. But if you're digging in the wrong place and you're going and you're going, hey, what, what good is it if, it if it's not providing for you? And I think the, uh, two weeks ago we looked at it and, and I want to say we have a water conscious, water wise congregation. Like some of you, y'all, afterwards, y'all told me some extra thing I didn't know about water. I'm like, well, thank you for that. I'm going to keep on learning. And so when we talk about wells and we talk about this thing of water, um, everybody needs water. Everything needs water. When you look outside and you see plants and you see animals and you see lush and green plants, um, they need water. Um, and if, if we don't give it to them, and us, by the way, we need that water. And everybody loves a good drink of uh, this beautiful you know, clean, fresh, uh, tasting water. And just like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so is water in the taste buds of the partakers. And that's why you see up here in front, I've had some little ones ask me, why you got all that water up there? And it's to show you, some of y'all, when you look up there, you see your own, and you're like, ooh, I like that one, ooh, I like that one. And we're going to be giving this out uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to have a bunch more to just let you have water. And it's just representation, like I said, of the Holy Spirit. And so um, as we jump into the, this, this third week, we're going to go a little bit more into wells. The first week was about the first well mentioned in the Bible, and it was the the, the the well called that an Egyptian slave girl, Hagar named, who was put in a very bad situation, not of her own doing. Like she was, she was in slavery to Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah at the time. And Sarah was promised she could have children, but was not able to conceive. And as a result, she, Sarah, hatched a plan going, I know if I can't get God to do it my way, I'll make it happen in my own strength and effort. I know none of you have ever done that, or I've never done that. I'm going to make it happen. And as a result, she came up with this idea, I've got a young slave girl here. Hey, Abram, how about if I just let you marry her? And then she became a, quote, surrogate mother. And, and then was treated harshly after she got pregnant. Anyhow, the well that she's the one, that was, it, it, it boggles my mind and it tickles me in this, that she wasn't a part of the promised people. She was an outsider. She was a downcaster. She was not the one you would think, hey, and it's, she's the exact one that God reveals himself with a well. She's running away. God speaks to her and he shows this well and it says, it's, the well is named the God who sees you. He sees you. And we went over that, and y'all can go look at that online, and he sees you. 
And it's powerful because many people think, well, he doesn't know me. He doesn't recognize God. You, I know you're there, but... And it's like he doesn't really, and he's like, he sees everything. Nothing escapes his gaze. And I mean that in a good way, because some of y'all like, yeah, he sees me, and you're like, oh, he sees me, he sees me, I don't want him to see me. It's like, even in those moments, he's not looking at you with disgust, he's not looking at, he's looking at with you love, going, hey, that ain't going to help, come home. And that's why we're talking about water, talking about this thing of the Holy Spirit and this thing of water and how he wells up inside of us. We looked at John uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to look there real quick, it's a verse that Jesus Talking to a woman at a well, Jacob's well, talking to her about water, asks her for water, and then tells her, hey, in verse 13, he said, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, this well water from Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like, hey, you, you think that water's good? I got some good water. As a matter of fact, if you look at all these waters, there's so many different names. They come up with this one. Like, this isn't just water. This is smart water. <laughs> so if I drink this, guess what? I'm going to be smart. <laughs> so, and then you go all the different ones. Here's another one I like. This is eternal water. <laughs> Tell me they didn't have some fun with these things. And then we got here, uh-oh, this is the Callaway Blue Mountain Spring Water. And here's an Essentia water. Now, I know some of y'all, as I bring these up, I'm just making you thirsty because some of you, these are your favorites. And I, I'm, not, I'm like, and I want you to be thirsty, but I want it to translate into, man, I'm thirsty for what God does inside this water of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, just a couple verses, a few verses over from when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says this, he says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink from, uh, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. In other words, if we, as scripture tells us to do this, it's going to flow out of us. And this is what it really meant. It goes on to say, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit at that time had not yet been given. Of course, like we said, and we heard the word this morning come forth with power is that the heavens had been rent. <laughs> there is nothing holding us back from receiving from God, except for us. Because what we do, we project our image upon God, our faults, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and we almost talk ourselves out of receiving from God as if somehow I've gotta be good enough in order for God to come and bless me, in order for God to come and fill me. And I just wanna tell you, any of y'all that's ever cleaned a mess up at your home, did you get it all clean and then use water to help wash it away? <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I got this muddy mess. Let me kind of keep wiping it off and I'll just keep messing. And you're just smearing dirt around. 
But when you get a hose and you get some fresh water coming, you pour it on and you just, and it starts dissipating. It starts going. You don't try to clean it up without the water. The same thing in our lives. If we're trying to connect with God on our basis of our goodness, we're missing it because he wants to fill us with this living water so we can live from that and it refreshes our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit that translates to our actions on the outside. That's what, it's funny because that's what John 5, so he's talking in John 5, there's been a lot that's happened. He's, he, he's, he's done a lot in there. He's walked on water and in, in, in the uh, 39th and 40 verse, he's talking to the Pharisees and they're thinking by their religious activity, somehow they're going to get something good from God. And I love what Jesus tells them because they study the scripture. In verse 39, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, in the scriptures, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me and have this living water. In other words, they were trying to do it on their own efforts, my good deeds. I read enough scripture, I read all this, and, and you can read scripture, but Jesus said it only helps if you find him in the scripture. Like in other words, I can read the Bible, I can read this thing back, I've read this thing through and through, but it doesn't mean anything unless I connect and I let him, I, I would rather you read one verse and it wreck you for a week then you read the whole Bible and you don't get it like, okay, I read the Bible. I'm not sure what it said, but I read it. <laughs> this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes life. It's not just a, a, a logos word. Yes, it's a written word, but it's a rhema word where it becomes alive in your spirit. And so as we continue on this journey of wells, we're, we, we use the Old Testament uh, the, I'm using the Old Testament wells, and we've got a few more coming up because they have symbol, uh, symbolic meaning, but it's also precious meaning. And I believe they're a pattern that if we look at it, it's all us have to go through. And uh, all of us, it's kind of like we walk through these things in these different wells. Like the first one I've mentioned is that uh, the God who sees you. That's powerful. The next one, we're going to look in Genesis. That was found in Genesis 12 and again in Genesis 20. But in Genesis 26, we're going to pick up a story of Abraham's son Isaac, his son Isaac. And this, this one chapter, believe it or not, tells more about Isaac's life than anything. It gives more description. But we're going to start in verse 17 for time's sake this morning, just for a little bit, because it's got some, so much, it's so pregnant with, with all kind of truth in it, like all scripture. But for our thing this morning, we're gonna go to the well with this. In Genesis 26, starting in verse 17, if you've got your Bibles, if not, we're gonna put it on the screen there for you. And so it says, so Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, which he, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham. Hmm. He said, I got to go back a little bit here. Which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. In other words, he's saying that just because his great father, Abraham, who's the founder, who's the patriarch, 
of our movement, of the, of the, of the Jewish people, also for believers here, because it's Jesus, uh, God promised him, through him all the nation of the earth would be blessed. When we look at this and we say, hey, he's given them the same name, which tells us we're going to have to go through the, some of the same stuff. And so when we first see that, first of all, that God sees us and it wasn't somebody we expected him to see, it says, hey, he sees everybody. In verse 19, he goes on to say, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. Back off. This is our water. They didn't dig it. They didn't do anything, but they wanted it. Anybody ever experienced that one? You worked so hard, somebody gets all the credit. No, y'all would never have. Y'all don't know nothing about that, huh? So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Shina. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Verse 23, from there he went to Beersheba, which is the place of the oath where Abraham made an oath with Abimelech. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. As we go to this first well, we went to the first well, which is the well of God sees you. Last week we had an incredible guest from Russia. If you didn't get to see that, you want to go check it out. Miss Natasha Shedivaya, Shedrivaya, Shedrivaya. I know Miss Gail's over there going, Mark, you're not getting it yet. I'm trying. Anyhow, she did a great job and she was basically sharing from her life. The water that was coming out of her, that was bubbling up out of her, you were here, you just received it. You're like, the, the, the well of love that was inside of her and love for people, it was just coming out. This morning, we're gonna dive into this well called Essek. And believe it or not, the wells, just like many altars, they were named specifically for situations that took place in the people's lives. And so with this first well, it's a well that we all have to go through. It's one we don't like, but we have to go through it. And it's the well that we call the well of contention. The well of contention or strife. That's what Essek means. It means contention. Because Isaac had dug this well and all of a sudden these people, the herders showed up and said, hey, it's ours. We want it. You dug it, but we taken it. And Isaac was like, hold it. <laughs> Y'all contending with me? <laughs> and so I want to say to us that in the Old Testament, these were real people, real places, real events that took place, just like it is in the New Testament. But instead of contending with people in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we actually contend with an adversary called Satan. We actually contend with uh, demonic spirits. We actually contend with evil that tries to come at us and tries to rob us of the water that's in us. The, the very spirit, it tries to come against us. And so when we look at, I just got three things I want to leave with you this morning. I want you to grab when we talk about the well of contention, because there are things worth contending for. Amen? We have to contend with stuff. Now, I know in this room, 
All of us contend with many different things on a daily basis. We contend with, I don't, I'm not good enough, or we contend with all types of attitudes and feelings, not just from our own, but things around us. But in these three things I want us to lean into, and the first thing I want us to look at contending is, we contend for our faith. We contend for our faith. Like, and when I say contending for our faith, I want us to understand that when I talk about faith, I'm talking about a deep, abiding, overwhelming, life-changing trust that God is as good as he says he is. That's what I'm talking about contending. That, that, so like I said a moment ago, many of us, we reason in our own mind why God shouldn't bless us or why God wouldn't want anything to do with us. And by the way, according to my own life, and we're right. But that's what makes God, God, because he's gracious and he's loving and he's kind. And we talk about contending for our faith. All of us have walked through times of doubt and we walk through seasons where it's been a real struggle with, I see you, God, and I know you, but man, you're just not answering. And I need you now. I need this now. Anybody even ever needed that now, God? Like, I need it now. And somehow it seemed like, I didn't hear you. And I just want to say, even in those moments, even in those moments, God is very much alive. God is very much real. And God is engaged. It's just we do have an adversary that's called Satan that wants to rob us of all that God has and all of, God who, all of who God is. And I just, I just have to believe and I know from my own life and experience that he's more loving, he's more kind, he's more gracious, he's more forgiving, he's more willing than my little finite brain will ever be able to comprehend. And that's why it's a heart, it's a spirit issue. And so why is faith so important, you might ask us, because it's what we have where we please God. Hebrews eleven six says it this way, and without faith, what is it? It is impossible to please God. Without this trust, without this, this, this sense of, hey, God, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know everything about you, but I trust you. I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to go on this walk. It says, without that, it's impossible to please him because why? Anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. In other words, I can't do God's part and he can't do my part. So God puts his spirit, he even says that in Ezekiel 26, uh, 36, he said, I'll give you a new heart, I'll give you a spirit, I'll put it in here, I'll make you wanna love me, but then we've gotta put the action behind it. Like I get to choose how I spend my time, I get to choose what I wanna look at, what I wanna listen to, what I wanna read. That's why Hebrews 11, 6, I mean, uh, Jude 17 through 21, I love what, what Jude says about building up our faith. He said, uh, um, it says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Now, I know Nobody here has ever done that or nobody knows anybody that does that. In our culture, in our day, it seems like, hey, just do whatever you want to. Or, or this, this is a familiar thing is 
This is one that when you go out and you talk to people that maybe not have been, that kind of, you know, they, they know some stuff, but they say, this is my truth. This is my truth. And I'm like, yeah, that's your truth, but is it the truth? So I can't just go with my truth. I got to go with the truth and I put my faith in what God says. And so when he, when he tells us this, that this is going to happen, he said, these are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Holy Spirit. He says, but you, dear friends, you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Allowing, taking time. If you've not, if you haven't experienced one of the, another gift of God, so the greatest gift, People may not believe this, but it's the gift of salvation. Like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can go to heaven and not speak in tongues. Now, there's some churches that will argue with that, but I'll go to Scripture and say, mm, nope, you can still go to heaven. And so I'll just say this. So the gift of salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's nothing you can do. There's not enough good stuff. It's simply by a matter of faith receiving. Jesus, you came, you died. You said, if I give my life to you, you would give your life to me. It's an exchange. And so that's what we do. It's not by any good works of our own. But he says to us, if we're praying in the Holy Spirit, there's another gift of the Holy Spirit that's found in Acts chapter 2 where we get a language we get to pray in that I didn't learn, that I don't deserve, the same way salvation comes, that it gives me direct access and I get to pray perfect prayers because I don't even know what my mind, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, my, mind, uh, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes you gotta bypass your brain because if I didn't have this language, I can make up all kind of stuff. I'm going to put my inferences. I'm going to put my own personal spin and twist on my prayer, especially when I'm praying for my enemies. Get them, God. Did you see what they did? God said, yeah, did you see what you did? Did cause that? No, but it's about them. I want go get them. <laughs> if we're not careful, what will happen is we'll put our own spin and twist. This is why he gives us this language. And if you haven't experienced that, I'm telling you, it's not so. I know it's one of the most controversial, but it's one of the most powerful. Jude's in there saying, this servant, he just said, hey, just pray in the spirit. There's times where you don't know how to pray. And he says, do that. And he said, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. That's coming. But until then, this is where we build ourselves up in that. So we contend for this. This is a continual thing. It's kind of like this thing of trust. I thought about how I, I was able to teach both my kids to ride a bike. Any parent ever taught their kid to ride a bike? And you know what happens? Like, okay, you got to build up trust. Like, daddy, don't let go. Don't, don't let go to bike. Daddy, don't. It's, you know, first of all, they're used to training wheels. And they got these training wheels and like, yeah. And they just going all around, yeah. And now, you remember, remember, we used to be real daredevils and there weren't any pads or helmets. Or, man, we were just crazy. What were we thinking? <laughs> like, you can ride a bike without a helmet? What? <laughs> Which, granted, I'm not making fun because I put my grandkids on it like, hey, save that cranium. Don't, don't mess that thing up. Um, but remember, so you got to build up trust and they get going and they're always looking back. And I'm like, okay, you ain't let go. You ain't let go, are you? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and when you take those off and you're just holding the seat and they're just kind of, you look at me, I'm like, look that way, stare, what are you looking back here? But they're just wondering, you're there, aren't you? 
you're there, aren't you? And then you get, you get riding with them and your hand's barely on the seat and they don't even know it, but they just see you there. <laughs> you're not even, you're just running with them. Yeah, I got you, I got you. <laughs> and then they look back and they wreck. Like, wow, will you let me go? I was like, no, you were doing great. Why did you, why did you look back? You had it. And then eventually, because they're just trusting, I got you. Let me say, when we contend for faith, he's got you. Keep looking forward to what he has for you. He's sitting right there. You may not sense it. You may not know it, but I'm telling you, he's right there with you. Go, okay. <laughs> Keep going. He's got you with that. In both of them, when they finally got it, they're going, yay. And I'm like, hey, slow down. You're going too far. No. It, it gives you that whole sense of trust. And so we battle for that. It's the same thing like Peter. We're not going to turn there this morning, but it's like Peter walking on the water. I mean, we, we could break that down, but we're just real simply, he saw Jesus walking on the water and said, wow, wow. He's, they first thought it was a ghost and they were scared like, ah, and they went, ooh. <laughs> kind of sometimes we do with God. God tells us to do something, we go, ah. And you go, ooh, that could be fun. And what happens is Peter went, the ah, and they got the ooh. And he's like, out of the 12, only one said, I want to do that. <laughs> only one said, I want to do that. The other's like, are you crazy? He's on water. And Jesus said, he said, if it, <laughs> you talk about doubt, this ain't a bunch of faith. If it's really you. <laughs> How many of us always say, if it's really you, God, I'll do it. It's like, oh, you got to take that leap. And Jesus said, come on out. The water's fine, boys. Come on in. And of course, we know Peter did. He took a step. He actually walked on the water, but then his eyes, his eyes got off of Jesus and got on wind and waves. And I just want to ask you, what does wind and waves have to do with walking on water? Nothing. Nothing. You can walk on water, you can walk on water. The most amazing part of that story that I just get, I get wrecked and tickled over is when Peter starts to sink, he cries, help me. Jesus didn't go, why'd you doubt? <laughs> You'll learn next time, won't you? <laughs> Come on, parents. <laughs> What did he do? He, the Bible says he immediately. This is what's amazing to me, y'all. It's one thing for you to walk on water. It's another thing for you to stand on water and pull somebody up out of water. Because you think it'd be like, Whoo, oh no. No, he pulls him up and they walk back to the boat. Jesus didn't say, he did talk to him about little faith, but he said, all right, you doubted, swim on back, boy, you on your own. He didn't. He said, come on, I got you. Okay, I got, I got to move here. <laughs> it's good stuff. So we contend for our faith, y'all. This is something we don't take for granted. This is something, and by the way, it's faith that I receive from God. It's not about works. It's about receiving than it is more about doing. Now, I know James, the brother of Jesus said, faith without works is dead. But I want to tell you this, works without faith is just as dead. Actually, according to scripture, it's not dead, it's due. <laughs> 
It's do, do. <laughs> so, so all the do you want to do, it turns into do, do if you just think you're just doing it. But he said that. Just being honest. Just trying to be kind with, to break out what the scripture says. <laughs> scripture says that, not me. Said, so, so if I'm just relying on my works and my good works and good deeds and say, look at me, and I don't have the spirit of God alive and active and moving, all I'm doing is literally, it's just like dung. And so we need to receive Jesus. I want to operate out of this living water. Number two, we contend for our faith. Secondly, no, man, powerful. We contend for our family. Look, now let's be honest. When I say that, instantly, people come to mind. And it's used the people that we contend with instead of the people we contend for. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh. So we can contend with each other instead of contending for each other. And that's what's, ooh, you got to watch out because we have an enemy that wants to come in and he wants to get everything all kind of crosswired and we begin to look at each other when we start infighting instead of looking out and saying, no, this is us. I know there's a popular TV show, this is us. And everybody, oh, has all these different scenarios and heartwarming moments like, it's us. And you go, oh, this is us. And I just want to say to you, we go through stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to, we really have to contend for our families because there is a onslaught to destroy families. Starting with marriages, starting with marriages. Marriage is the most beautiful, incredible, hard journey you will ever be on. <laughs> Just being real. I love what John Hagee said at uh, William Ligon. We, he, we did a rehearsal dinner and uh, John Hagee was there. He, can't, he was able to come in and I'll never forget in his big barrelly voice. He said, William, he said, love is a dream and marriage is the alarm clock. Get ready, it's about to ring. And I was like, <laughs> I never forgot, I was like, woo! Anybody get some ringing? <laughs> you went in like, ah, you went, oh. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit in us, operating through us, drawing us to him so it'll free us to draw each other so we contend for each other instead of contend and strive with each other. If we will do that, I'm telling you, this is where God wants us. This is what he wants for us when we talk about contending for our family. So I'll say this, and, and most of us know, we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So if I want my family to change, guess what? Jesus, here it is. I need your work. I need your water. I need your quenching. I need your refreshing. I need your renewal. I need you here. Change me that in turn changes my family. Not, hey, if they change, if you change, well, it's like, mm, that ain't going to work. I love what Colossians 3, 18 through 21 says. It covers all of the family relationship. Now, I don't have time to go over husband and wife, father, son, father, daughter, siblings. You know, we're not even talking about aunts, uncles, cousins, all that. But in Colossians 3, in the message, it says this, wives, understand and support your husband by submitting to them 
in ways that honor the master, talking about Jesus. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Like, woo! Like, there is no one like you. Like, I mean, hey, when, when we've, <laughs> so, so my incredible wife, like, there is nobody that I have eyes for. It's like, I only have eyes. No. <laughs> I don't mess up. I don't sing. Y'all know that. I ain't going to mess you up. But anyhow, I'm not looking. I'm just looking. Man, she's incredible. My eyes stay focused there. My heart stays focused there. Husband, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. And then it says, children, which all of us have been and are, do what your parents tell you. <laughs> this delights the master to no end. <laughs> and then parents, do not come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. You'll send them running. You'll send them, instead of finding and receiving love and demonstrating what it looks like, you'll send them running. So we contend for faith, we contend for our families, and finally, we contend for our future. And this is a tough one. We now have in our society more people that deal with anxiety than just about anything else. And anxiety, just so you know, and my heart goes out to every one of you because I have it too at different times. There's different times when I look out, I'm like, uh. Anxiety has to do with a fear of the future. Depression, not this isn't a rule, but it, it is a thing. Depression deals with things in the past that we haven't been able to get over. And so we look back and we're like, eh, oh, oh. And instead of dealing with them, they stay there. They just keep on cropping up. And that's why we have a freedom group. Mr. Ke Mr. Carl, he's still doing that. You're still not too late to sign up. We're getting there, but you can still sign up for those. If you haven't done one, I encourage everybody to be a part. But anxiety deals with as I look out in the, in the front of things. And so right now, some people get anxiety because I look out and I'm like, y'all, I done turned 60 last year. And this month, I'm going to turn 61. Woo! I remember when 60 was old. <laughs> Anybody remember that? Like 60, man, you old. Now 80 doesn't even look old. I'm like, that ain't too bad. I can't wait till I get there. <laughs> My mom's 83. I'm like, come on, mom, let's go. She's still working. She's still the secretary at the Catholic school. She keeps threatening it's going to be her last year. She's going to be getting her letter of notice. She'll have to sign. But I said, mom, just keep working. Don't worry. <laughs> Anyhow, you look at the future and you go, oh, what's going to happen in my life? And I just want to tell you, when we start saying about contending for the future, this is what God did for Isaac. We're going to turn back real quick and look at one of the last verses in Genesis 26, 24. It says, that night the Lord appeared to him. I want to remind you what he said. I am the God of your father Abraham. The past, that, that, that's him. Do not be afraid for I am with you, the present, right now. I will bless you and will, and will future, will increase the numbers of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. God is, he, he was there in your past. He's here in your present. And he will be there in your future. So as he's telling Isaac, and then in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, it says this, the prophet Jeremiah speaking for God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you 
How many be honest and you've thought, like some people are real afraid of thunderstorms, lightning, which there's a good reason to be. And, and I'm not making facetious light of it, but part of it is being honest. They think like God's up there holding one, waiting with your name on it. Like just, mm, mm, I'm going to get you. And that's never a part. That's just a, it's a thing of nature. This is a below the sun issue. God's not sitting here directing like, got him. He's literally, he is there looking at you, but not with a lightning bolt, with love. And so when we think of, hey, he's going to give me, you know, not, he's not going to harm you. Never. It goes on to say, plans to give you hope, hope, and a future. He goes and says, then you will call upon me with that hope and future and, I will, and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And let's be honest, as I'm winding down right now, how many have prayed and you thought God didn't hear me? He didn't even listen. It didn't make it out of the roof. It didn't make it out of the I prayed and God, you didn't hear me besides me. And I just wanna say, there's gonna come a day and it's, it's listed in Revelation where it says God holds our prayers our tears are in golden bowls the ones we pray where he is very much engaged and he's going to reveal all that and you're going to go you heard me you understood every tear you were there for every moment and he says I will listen to you it says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart Mm. Mm. I know right now in this, in this auditorium, in this room, in those watching online, I know there are people who have been battling with their trust in God. Does God really love me? Is he really gonna take care of me? And I'm just gonna tell you, if you haven't come to that place of that overwhelming, abiding sense that God's good and he's got you, this would be a great day to go all in and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just, Lord, it's yours. I, I, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I want to give it to you, and I'm giving it to you. Or maybe you've had a real battle with family. Ooh, Jesus. It's the most powerful relationships on the planet, which means it has the potential to be the most destructive relationships on the planet because it's, it's, it's so powerful. And so when we talk about contending for our family, we gotta be careful we don't just simply contend with each other. And we gotta come together. And it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what family member, there are people, family can be so hard sometimes because they can be cruel. They know the whole truth and, the whole, and all the truth and the whole truth and <laughs> nothing but the truth. And, and then they'll use that instead of saying, hey, no, I see that, but I love you. And I'm going to demonstrate what forgiveness and what God looks like. Maybe you're, you know, that family contention, that contending. You'd say, Mark, I, whew, I need to contend. And, or maybe it's this future thing. When you look at the landscape of your life, and when you begin to look out, you look out and you see this big light. And instead of it being sun, you think it's a train fixing to come at you and run over you. <laughs> and I'm telling you this morning, God has your past, 
He's dealt with it through his son, Jesus. He's forgiven every part of it. He has your present right now. He sees every breath. He sees every thought. He sees everything that happens. And he's intimately aware and engaged. And he sees your future. And if you're battling any of these three areas, whether it's your faith, whether it's your family, whether it's your future, I'm going to ask Sam to sing. And I know we've gone over a little bit. I, believe me, I have condensed down. Y'all don't even know the stories that, <laughs> that were here that I said, no, y'all, we got to, there is a time. And I know I want to honor you. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to quench anything or the Holy Spirit. I think I just love you and I, I know you have committed to being here. And I want to be mindful of your, that. But I, I just think if you've battled in any three of these, faith, family, or future, as Sam sings, I'm going to invite you to join me down here. Because I believe, just like with this picture of water, I believe God wants to pour out some refreshing. He wants to renew some stuff on the inside. He wants to give you hope and future. He wants to give you this sense that, hey, I've got you and you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. And so as he sings, I'm going to just invite you to slip out of your seat and come down here with me and we're going to pray and then we'll see what God does for us.